Chapter Eight, Part One of Chemical Phenomena in Life by Frederick Chopek. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Catalysis and the Enzymes, Part One. In the beginning of the last century, chemists made the acquaintance of a series of remarkable phenomena which were caused by finely divided metals, particularly by platinum in the form of the so called platinum black. A mixture of oxygen and hydrogen immediately explodes when it is brought in contact with platinum black. Common coal gas inflames when brought in contact with finely divided platinum. Sulfur dioxide is by the same agency quickly oxidized to sulfuric acid. Hydroperoxide is rapidly split into oxygen and water when in contact with platinum black. In all these cases, the quantity of platinum black is not diminished after the reaction, and the products of the reactions are never any of the platinum compounds. Similar effects were later on known from sulfuric acid in its influence on the formation of ethyl ether or sulfuric ether from the common ethyl alcohol. Here, too, no sulfuric compound is formed. Ether is often called sulfuric ether for the reason that it is prepared by means of sulfuric acid. Its formula, carbon-2, hydrogen-5, oxygen, carbon-2, hydrogen-5, does not contain any sulfur. It is formed from alcohol simply by loss of water. Two molecules of ethyl alcohol, C2H5OH, minus water, H2O, equals ether, C2H5O. No sulfuric acid is consumed in this process. Such remarkable reactions have become known in continually increasing number. Since the effect of metal or the sulfuric acid seems to be caused merely by contact, the German chemist Mitscherlich proposed to call such effects contact effects. Mitscherlich recognized a very important fact in many of such contact reactions, namely, that in these the large surface of finely divided contact substances must play an important part. The famous Swedish chemist Berzelius, who took a great interest in these phenomena, believed that a peculiar force is exerted by contact substances. He called that force catalytic power. The name catalysis has since been generally accepted. Catalytic reactions soon became most important for biology. Just a century ago, Kirchhoff of St. Petersburg found that starch is transformed into grape sugar by the working of mineral acids. It was known to him that no acid is consumed in this process. In 1833, Payen and Perzot in Paris made the discovery, which has had far-reaching consequences, that germinating seeds contain a peculiar contact substance which transforms starch into sugar. This substance they named diastase. In quick succession, similar reaction effects were recognized in the formation of prussic acid from the so-called amygdalene in germinating bitter almonds, in the formation of the sharp essential oil in germinating mustard seed, and finally in protein digestion in the stomach of man and the higher animals. Berzelius did not hesitate to express his opinion that catalytic reactions will probably one day represent the most important part of the chemistry of living cells. At present, indeed, we have at our disposal a surprisingly great mass of facts which illustrate the general occurrence of catalytic substances in living cells and the overwhelming importance of catalytic reactions for chemical phenomena in life. I shall try to explain the position of our knowledge in the following pages, as well as it is possible to do in a narrow space. To Ostwald of Leipzig, we owe a very ingenious and practical definition of catalytic reactions and catalytic power. 
substances which act as catalyzers, as we now call them, usually exert their influence upon a suitable substance, even when applied in very small quantities. As a rule, one part of the effective substance may transform many thousands, even millions of parts, of the substance undergoing the catalytic change. But during the reaction, the quantity of the catalyzer does not diminish. For instance, when splitting up cane sugar into glucose and fructose by means of acid, the acidity of the solution does not show the slightest alteration. Finally, as we have already seen, no trace of the catalyzer appears in the final products of the reaction. Reactions which show these characteristics we call catalytic reactions. The enormous power of the slightest trace of a catalytic substance strongly reminds the biologist of the effects of stimulation in animals and plants. Even here, a slight stimulus very often produces a surprisingly great effect. Physiologists know that there is, as a rule, no mathematical relation between the energy of the stimulus and the energy which becomes manifest in the reaction. For such physiological phenomena, the expression release action was used. Pfeffer tried to compare such processes with the mechanism of a machine which may be set working by touching an electric button or a spring. Indeed, in both cases the releasing action is not at all comparable with the resulting action. May catalytic effects also be called release actions? Physiologists sometimes did so, but there is no doubt that there are reasons enough for drawing an exact distinction between the two results. When the trigger of a gun is touched, it does not matter whether more or less power is applied. The energy produced by the explosion is always the same. In catalytic reactions, on the other hand, the quantity of the catalyzer employed is of great importance as regards the amount of the reaction effect. Between certain limits, one may even consider the reaction effect as proportional to the quantity of the catalyzing substance. So the acceleration of the splitting of cane sugar by acids was found to be directly proportional to the concentration of the acid applied. Another difference is shown by the experience that release effects in processes of stimulation in plants or in animals do not occur without a stimulus. But catalytic reactions, as it seems, are not strictly dependent for their existence on the presence of the catalyzer. For a series of reactions, it has already been stated that the reaction takes place even without the catalyzer being present, yet it must be admitted slowly. We come to the conclusion that the catalyzing substance is only an accelerating agent, but not an agent without which the effect does not take place at all. This is very important for an exact understanding of catalysis effects. If we find it desirable to compare the catalyzer with any mechanism in an engine, we cannot compare it with a releasing contrivance, but we may rather find a resemblance between the effect of train oil on the smooth going of the engine and the accelerating effect of a catalyzing substance. Hitherto, only accelerating catalysis has been spoken of. Some effects on chemical reactions have been found, which seem to have the contrary of an accelerating catalytic influence. The oxidation of sulfurous acid, for example, can be very much retarded by traces of glycerin, mannitol, or other organic compounds. The luminosity of phosphorus is diminished or hindered by the presence of turpentine, ether, or alcohol. Probably all such influences are based in the working of these agencies on a catalyzing substance. In the first case which we have mentioned, traces of copper contained in the common distilled water of our laboratories exert a catalyzing influence upon the oxidation of the sulfite of sodium. 
organic substances, for example mannitol and glycerin, are inclined to form compounds of copper, and so they remove the effective catalytic agent from the water and diminish the velocity of the oxidation of the sulfite of sodium. We owe to Bredick of Zurich the exact knowledge of the retarding influence of traces of prussic acid, sulfite of hydrogen, and some other substances on the catalytic reaction of platinum black and hydrogen peroxide. There is no doubt that the prussic acid or hydrogen sulfide change the surface of the platinum, for they cover it with a layer of platinum cyanide or sulfide. So the platinum surface which exercises the catalytic power is very considerably diminished. By decomposition of the cyanide layer, the pure platinum surface can be restored, and the catalyzer becomes active again. There is an interesting parallelism between these phenomena and the poisoning of living cells by cyanide or sulfide, which made Bredick call such retarding substances poisons for catalytic and enzyme effects. A very interesting result in chemical reactions is often given by the phenomenon that the catalyzing substance is formed by the reaction itself. Pure copper metal is very much less soluble in quite pure nitric acid than in nitric acid which contains a little nitrous acid. The latter acid has a catalytic influence on the process of dissolving of copper. Now some small quantity of nitrous acid is always formed by the reduction of the nitric acid during the process of dissolving copper. We therefore see that, after a certain time, the copper dissolves much more quickly than in the beginning. Such a catalysis is called autocatalysis. We may compare it to the influence of heat on the dissolution of sodium hydroxide, during which process heat can be produced by the process itself. Catalytic substances sometimes, in the same way as platinum black or acids, may influence a large number of reactions. Acids, particularly, are quite usual catalytic substances which affect nearly every kind of reaction. It is a very important fact that the final equilibrium in the reaction is as little altered by the presence of the catalyzing substance as that the order of the reaction is changed. Consequently, the catalytic influence does not extend but to the reaction velocity. Catalytic reactions are of the greatest importance for chemical phenomena in living matter. We may even say, that all the main reactions in the different processes of digestion, in respiration, in the metabolism of carbohydrates, fats, and proteids are ruled by catalytic influences. No chapter of biochemistry during the last period of development in biology has become of greater significance than the theory of catalysis in living protoplasm, or the knowledge of the enzymes. The word enzyme has not been used until recently. Formerly, the expression ferment was generally applied to signify the cause of the remarkable chemical changes which are so highly characteristic of life. Ferment, or fermentation, was directly derived from alcoholic fermentation. The word was intended to signify the generation of gas, of foam bubbles filled with gas, and it should remind us of the resemblance to boiling liquids. Fervio, boil, bubble. Figuratively, Fermentation was applied to chemical changes in organic bodies under organic influences. There was no marked distinction made between fermentation and rotting or decomposition. Generally, fermentation and putrefaction were spoken of as being the same. The first great discovery in the territory of fermentation was made by Theodore Schwann in Belgium and Cagnon Latour in France. It was shown that the deposit consisting of yeast in fermenting sugar solution was of vegetable nature, not a product of fermentation, as was formerly often believed, 
and that it was the active cause of the fermenting. From that time, yeast has been placed in the plant system among the fungi. A little later, Kutzing was able to show that the cause of acetic fermentation was also a microscopic plant belonging to the bacteria. It is still well remembered what great services Louis Pasteur rendered to the knowledge of microbes which cause different fermentations. In consequence of these discoveries, the name of ferments was transferred to the microbes causing fermentation. I have already taken the opportunity of mentioning a further wonderful discovery of the remarkable third decade of the last century. I mean the isolation from germinating seeds of a substance which is able to transform starch into sugar. Payan and Perzot first showed that extract of malt contained a certain substance, soluble in water, which was precipitated by alcohol, which causes the starch grains to dissolve and induces the formation of sugar from starch. The two French scientists even showed that this substance, to which was given the name diastase, immediately loses its power when boiled. Theodore Schwann, at about the same time, discovered that from the mucous membrane of the stomach there can be extracted a substance which is soluble in water or glycerin, and which acts very effectively on albuminous compounds, quite in the same way as in digestion the living organ changes albumin. This substance was called pepsin. In rapid sequence followed the discovery of emulsin, which splits up the amygdalin contained in almonds to prussic acid, benzaldehyde, and grape sugar. The discovery of myrosin in mustard seeds, which produces mustard oil. Later on, the discovery of invertin in yeast, which cane sugar splits into its sugar components. Trypsin in the pancreas gland of quadrupeds, which rapidly splits up albumin to amino acids. Many other discoveries were made later on, in connection with which I only mention the important statement of Schoenbein and Basel, that oxidizing effects are caused by substances which are soluble in water, precipitated by alcohol, and destroyed by boiling. All these substances exercise their activity even when applied in very small quantities. They are all of organic origin, never found in inorganic nature, and not to be gained by chemical synthesis. We do not wonder that such effects caused by diastase and other substances mentioned were not sharply distinguished from the microbial processes of fermentation or decomposition. We indeed see the expression fermentation used for both kinds of phenomena. It was found sufficient to speak of soluble ferments and of microbic ferments. Kuhn of Heidelberg was the first to propose to change the nomenclature and to avoid speaking of ferments. He clearly recognized that even the microbes cannot act otherwise but by production of substances which must be regarded as soluble ferments. Consequently, the name of enzymes was introduced for soluble ferments. We know that all enzymatic processes depend upon the production of such substances. All the processes which were formerly believed to be exclusively connected with living protoplasm are due to substances of the group of enzymes. In this direction, particularly the discovery of Edward Bruckner of Würzburg, then in Munich, was of the greatest importance. It was shown in 1894 that the power of fermenting sugar in yeast is by no means inseparably connected with cell life. When yeast is carefully ground down, so that every cell is sure to be cut through or squeezed, and afterwards the paste is pressed by means of a powerful hydraulic press, a yellowish liquid is obtained, which still possesses the full property of forming alcohol and carbon dioxide from grape sugar. B. 
Buchner succeeded by filtration in freeing this liquid from every trace of living cells or their fragments, so that there could not be any doubt that no living protoplasm was present. Further, he demonstrated that the alcohol-forming agent was soluble in water, precipitable by alcohol, and very easily destroyed by heat. So, alcoholic fermentation was separated from yeast life, and the perspective was opened that many other processes of decomposition or disintegration of substances in living protoplasm may be caused by enzymes, but not directly by the living matter itself. But it is true that in some cases, substances which are responsible for enzymatic actions cannot be extracted from protoplasm. The express sap proves ineffective, and no means are known for separating the hypothetical enzyme from the protoplasm. In such cases it is, however, possible to kill the protoplasm without destroying the enzymes. Here, too, Buchner was the first to show useful methods. He succeeded in killing cells by means of acetone or ether without damaging the enzyme. So killed yeast cells were obtained which possessed in a high degree the power of acting on sugar. In the same way, Buchner prepared the bacteria of milk fermentation and of acetic fermentation. The cell bodies were completely dead, but nevertheless it was possible to cause fermentations by specimens of these bacteria. We may consider that such experiments fairly prove the existence of specific enzymes which are responsible for the fermentation effects by the living cells. It is difficult to explain the reason why the enzymes in these cases cannot be separated from protoplasm. They may be entirely insoluble, or may at least diffuse through membranes only with difficulty, or adsorption effects may play a part in such cases. Investigations of later years have shown distinctly that every cell contains such enzymes which are not to be extracted from protoplasm, and which never diffuse from intact living cells. Such enzymes were named intracellular enzymes or endoenzymes. Other enzymes, such as the cane sugar inverting enzyme of yeast, or the digestive enzyme of the mucous membrane of the stomach, are abundantly secreted, and consequently may be obtained without difficulty in any quantity from living tissue. These are the enzymes which we call secretion enzymes. We understand that chemists were very anxious to isolate pure enzymes and to study the properties of these remarkable substances in the hope of being able to explain why they act in that way. In spite of the very advanced technical achievements of experimental chemistry, it was not possible to prepare a pure enzyme, not even in one case. The difficulties of preparation are very great. All enzymes have proved to be typically colloidal substances, and they readily show alterations of their properties, coagulate, are destroyed by heat, show a high degree of adsorption of other substances, and are mixed with very many similar colloidal substances, so that the chemist, in his endeavor to separate the effective agent from its companions, loses more of it the longer he treats it with reagents, and often finally has before him a white powder looking quite satisfactorily pure, but of much less activity than the original enzyme. We must confess that it is at present impossible to say whether all enzymes belong to the class of albuminous substances, as in many cases seems probable, or whether enzymes may be of different chemical structure. It is not even certain whether all enzymes contain nitrogen. As far as we know, all enzymes are distinctly colloidal substances. No enzyme survives boiling, even for a short time. Although there is great uncertainty about the chemical nature and the relation of enzymes, we possess much knowledge of the action of enzymes, which is doubtless the most interesting part of their characteristics. 
At the first glance, we must feel reminded of catalytic reactions. Berzelius made no difference between enzymes and catalytic substances. As well as being catalyzers, the enzymes show strong actions even when applied in but very small quantities. It was stated, with regard to a series of enzyme reactions, that the quantity of the enzyme is not diminished in a perceptible degree during the reaction. We know further that the enzyme never appears among the products of a reaction, quite as in catalytic reactions. Finally, it is most probable that the reactions which are caused by enzymes do not entirely depend for their existence upon the presence of the enzyme. They are continued and take place, though very slowly, even when the enzyme is not present. We see that the chief characteristics of catalytic substances and of enzymes agree exactly. We must, in consequence of this, consider enzymes to be catalytic agents. But there are a few very remarkable and sharp differences between the two groups of substances. Most of the catalyzers we have spoken about extend their sphere of action over a large number of substances. Acids, for example, are able to catalyze all kinds of reactions. Quite a different behavior is met with in enzymes. As a rule, enzymes are effective only in one reaction. Invertin does not act upon anything else but on cane sugar, emulsin only upon amygdalin. Their sphere is, as we see, very limited. Another peculiarity of enzymes is their colloidal nature and their inability to resist boiling temperature. There is little doubt that both properties are connected and that the sensibility to heat is due to coagulation of colloidal solutions. We may therefore say that enzymes are catalytic substances of a limited field of action, of colloidal nature, and very little resistant to heat. We must still add that enzymes are formed only in living matter. Finally, one important property of enzymes is this, that in the blood of animals which have had some enzyme solution injected into a vein, peculiar substances are formed. These have the power of hindering the enzyme action when a little of the blood serum is added to a mixture of the original enzyme solution and the substance on which the enzyme is otherwise effective. We call these remarkable substances anti-enzymes. Only real enzymes cause the formation of anti-enzymes in animal blood, and this reaction is highly characteristic of true enzymes. It is important to know that each anti-enzyme acts quite specifically only upon that enzyme which was injected into the vein, and upon no other. End of Part 1 of Chapter 8